Oh man, well we're back for another episode. Um, I guess this is coming out after Thanksgiving, before Christmas, so I suppose our listeners are in the midst of Advent season. We're still, we're still in technically, we're in ordinary time, so we're just living our ordinary lives, having a good old ordinary time here, and soaking it up. And then when you hear this, we will have time traveled to Advent, because that's when you will be hearing this. That would be a heck of a banter topic, time travel. Ooh. That's a little above my pay grade, though. So. Yeah. Doc Brown. Yeah. Yeah, Doc Brown. Hello, Doc oh, Brown. yeah. And Marty McFly. I sent that gift to somebody. Hello, McFly. The 1.21 gigawatts. I'm glad that you remember that. Of course. I do love that series, Back to the Future. It's a good series. Yeah, great. Uh, the second and third ones, I mean, they're good, but... I literally just had this conversation with someone recently because I've only seen the first one and then people were saying, oh yeah, the second and third one were pretty good. And then somebody said, well, the third one's not that good. The that second I one's pretty say, good. The second one, yeah. The third one, it's, it's almost as if they were trying to just... They were trying to hide. Do something. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but the second one's okay. But it, I, was, I would argue that the first one is the best. You want to well, hear... Yeah. So this, this is kind of prideful, but I want to talk about my preaching real quick because this is something where... So I have to preach three weekend homilies right i used to only have to do maybe one or two because i was with another priest but now i have three and i've noticed a pattern you ready for this Mm -hmm. so my very first mass so this is the saturday night mass my homily is a little rusty because it's my first time trying it out on people and so it can be a little clunky at times but for some reason it's always the most emotional of the three i don't know maybe it's because it's my first time saying it and it's just all like raw and fresh for me and so i really get into what i'm saying but at the same time like it sounds kind of clunky when i get to 8 30 sunday mass i've now kind of worked out some of the things that i had to tweak from the first homily like oh that didn't land well or oh that didn't come out the way i thought it would so it's better it's usually one of my best and then 10 30 which is my third one for the weekend i'm just like I'm tired. I've already said this twice already. Let's just get to the point and move on. So I've just noticed that with three different homilies, it's like three different deliveries. and. So your third one's just way shorter than the first two? Not necessarily. I just, I don't know. I have more of a sense of like, I just want to get this done with and get to mass and let's do this. And then I can go home and take a nap. And yeah, I don't know. Well, when I was, you know, my Protestant days, when I was preaching sermons or whatever, it was at a church that had two Sunday services mm-hmm. by that second one because I mean they're usually longer they're 25 30 sometimes 40 minutes right definitely by it's that basically a podcast one, episode right yeah yeah and but by the end of that second one I was like oh I just want this to be over with. right right it's just it's tiring um so I get it and I have to remind myself like when I'm at that third mass this is their first time hearing it yeah it's my third and so I have to have that same level of like enthusiasm that i had with the very first one but it's it can be you need tough. to get emotional okay father i will <laughs> just love you all so much yeah that's only for uh, emergency use only if you notice the congregation falling asleep yes okay. yeah Noted. yep that would be absolutely hilarious and sacrilege not, all at the same time. <laughs> Just because it's definitely, hilarious doesn't definitely mean Definitely not appropriate, but oh my gosh, you notice someone falling asleep, so you just go, <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay, anyways, you probably should get to the topic. Yeah. You probably should. Yeah. 
So, Father, you're kind of taking the reins on this episode. What you got for us? Yeah, well, speaking of homilies, so this was, you asked me to think of a topic, and I thought, well, when in doubt, I can just recycle a homily that I gave at my parish that you didn't hear, so it's news to you. Um, so I, I, I think there are a few parishioners, though, from that uh, parish who listen to the podcast, so they'll realize that I'm scrapping some old material. But, um, but I, I do think that it is like a timely topic and I want to get your input and uh, feedback as well on this but so just maybe some context for the homily that I gave so this was the homily I gave I don't think it was this past weekend maybe the weekend before that Um, and maybe for our listeners who are not living in Michigan just a little bit of background on what was happening in Michigan so we had our um, midterm elections and probably one of the biggest um, pieces of news that came out of that was that um, we have something that was called proposal three pass And Proposal 3, um, since it's passed, it's now enshrined in our state's constitution that um, a woman has a right to an abortion up to the moment of birth. Um, Abortions have now become unregulated and unrestricted in our state because this proposal has passed. And a lot of people um, afterwards, I, I should say, you know, especially Christians and Catholics who put a lot of work into trying to educate people about what was actually in this proposal um, because you look at the ballot language and it seemed very tame, very mild, but it's it's actually very extreme in its measures. Um, so we, we were doing a lot to try to educate people. There were all these different prayer initiatives. There was just a lot that went into trying to get this from not passing, and unfortunately it passed. And so now we live in a state where, again, access to abortion is now unregulated, unrestricted, and it just leads to a lot of discouragement and frustration. And like, I put in all this effort and for, for what end? And another aspect of it too, was it wasn't just the abortion, it was also like the sterilization. And sterilization. Um, and parental consent. Right. Also uh, is basically out the window. Um, exactly. So it took a lot of parental rights away too. So uh, just a little fuller picture of what all it entailed. Yeah, that's that's helpful. Yep. And there's there could be even more consequences that we aren't even aware of yet because it's so early on in its stages that maybe there'll be other things we'll have to encounter as well but so I just had a sense as um, well first of all as just a disciple a Christian my own frustration and discouragement but then also as a pastor of a parish and I'm looking out I'm seeing the discouragements of the people in the pews and so it's like how do I how do I preach about this dynamic and it just so happened that it was in, in the liturgy, um, the liturgical year, as you get closer and closer to Advent, the readings tend to focus more on like the end times, right? And they can be very dark, very kind of intense and very abrasive. And so it, it had something, the readings had something to do with kind of the end times and just the kinds of things that would be happening before our Lord comes back to earth again for a second coming. And so what I ended up preaching on and what I wanted to talk about in this podcast is sort of like, what is a Christian, what is a Catholic's perspective or mindset supposed to be as we're living in this world in terms of living between these two extremes of an optimism and a pessimism, okay? So as Christians, on the one hand, we can't ever throw in the towel and despair and just say, I give up, Um, the world is just going down the toilet, it can you know, it can just do that. I'm going to stay in my own little safe bubble, my own silo of the church and just cut ourselves off mm-hmm. from the world and say, you guys are crazy. Um, you have no idea what you're doing and just sort of despair for the sake of the world. 
but that's that's not our call as Christians. We do need to be engaged in the world. Um, we're called to try to bring about this society of, of peace and of justice, to pray for conversion of hearts, to try to implement things um, in the legal and political realm, to try to bring about the kingdom of God on earth. So we never want to despair and be like overly pessimistic about things going on in the world because we know Jesus has won the victory over sin and death, that he wins in the end. And so uh, we always know that good will eventually triumph over evil. At the same time, and this is what I was more intrigued about as I was doing some research, and again, with that gospel reading, it's like there's also a certain naive optimism that we don't necessarily, aren't called to have as Christians. In other words, just because we're Christian doesn't mean we have this attitude of things are going to get better and better and better, and then Jesus is going to come back. In fact, in the Gospels and in the Catechism, the exact opposite impression is given. Like, Jesus seems to be giving us this image of leading up to the time when he returns. Things actually will get more challenging on earth and for the church. And uh, I I looked up this quote. I I was fascinated by this quote when I was putting together the homily, and I would encourage listeners, if you're you're interested in this, the Catechism paragraphs um, 668 to 677, have some really good things to say about um, the kind of the end times and when Jesus returns. But I was just struck by this sentence where it says, the kingdom will be fulfilled then not by a historic triumph of the church through a progressive ascendancy, ascendancy, but only by God's victory over the final unleashing of evil, which will cause his bride to come down from heaven. So those words, a progressive ascendancy, in other words, we're not holding out, we're not holding our breath and saying things will get better and better and better and then Jesus will come back. It could very well be the case that things sort of get worse and worse and worse and then Jesus comes back. So I guess when things like this happen, like Proposal 3 passing or the other just crazy things that we see in the world, again, how do we live in this tension of we don't want to despair and throw in the towel and say, the world is a lost cause because we still need to be engaged in it. But at the same time, how do we have this sober sense of, well, I'm not exactly surprised by this and I'm not going to become jaded uh, by always being disappointed with my high hopes that things in this world will basically become a utopia as time goes on. So those are some initial thoughts. I know there's a lot there to talk about, but any initial reactions from you guys? I think, um, I mean, I was I was greatly disappointed, right? Um, and it was it was discouraging. You know, we do a lot of work to try to educate individuals of the the evil of of what Proposal Three was, but then it's obviously it passed. Um, but I, I I found myself kind of whispering to myself when I read the results, uh, you know, but Jesus is still king. Mm-hmm. Jesus is still king, and. Um, I think now more than ever we recognize our need for a savior, right? Um, and and also too, at some point, you know, I, I think the Lord uses things to kind of give us a wake up call as well. Um, of, of hey, like this happened, so what are you going to do about it? Right. right. So it's kind of that kick, right? It's kick in the rear to kind of get us going. Um, because obviously, like, like you know, man has free will. We all have free will. We have the ability, even if we're educated, to uh, make a decision that maybe isn't for the betterment of other people, right? Um, like, 
we as humans have that ability for free will. And so uh, for me, I've been reflecting on, okay, uh, you know, I am me, like I am my person. I did what I could to try to spread the word and even encourage people, I, like several friends in Ohio I had asked um, to pray. Uh, several had asked me like, what's going on with this proposal three? And it was an opportunity for me to educate them, uh, even though they were in a different state. Um, but then to ask for their prayers. And so, at, and this is still something I'm still wrestling with just personally, you know, well, what else could I have done, right? What else could I have done? Um, so there's that discouragement, but at the same time, but I did what I could, right? And trying to find that balance and that hope and just that, you know, Jesus is still king. I can control what I did and my um, decisiveness on this proposal, right? And how it, my, no, it, it can't, we can't let this pass kind of thing and what, making that fight. Um, but it doesn't make it easier, right? Right. But I think um, for me, it's been allowing myself the grace to grieve, um, but also not lose sight of the fact that, okay, Jesus is king. Um, he still is king. And he tells us, I mean, he told the apostles, like, in this world there will be trials and temptations, right? And, uh, I mean, you can even look at Job, too. I mean, that even though Job was a righteous man, evil came upon him, right? So uh, we could even still, um, they remain faithful to the Lord. And so evil will happen, um, evil will come upon us, but it doesn't have to overtake us, right? We can uh, keep our eyes fixed on the Lord. So those are just some of the things, like I said, still wrestling with it, still grieving um, the many, many lives that will be lost because of it. Um, or the, it just even the lives that are affected, because we talked about it's not just the abortion aspect of it, but that's uh, the other, like the sterilization and even the parental rights. Like there's many different areas to grieve regarding it, but, uh, and probably more that we're not aware of. Um, so allowing myself the grace to grieve, but then trying to, to really keep my eyes just fixed on Jesus, right? Um, that even in a world of, that's, <laughs> that feels anti-Christian, right? Um, Jesus is still king, right? And, and how do we actively participate in that um, despite, you know, some disappointing results, right? And some mm -hmm. discouraging results. So those mm -hmm. are just like some of my initial thoughts. Sure. So. Yeah, I would say um, as a mom and as a, a woman who has been pregnant, the results were very disheartening um, because throughout pregnancy especially with the boys I, I was able to get many more uh ultrasounds than you normally would because essentially the moment you find out that you're expecting multiples you and it's a it's classified as a high-risk pregnancy and so they would do multiple ultrasounds and so you see that development uh throughout the pregnancy you see their little hands and and their organs that are doing what they're supposed to be doing and they're developing and growing and so knowing that people can just snuff the life out of that is is really disheartening um but also thinking about okay i now have to raise my children to have the well-formed consciences so that i won't have to worry about my rights as a parent being taken away um, and one of the things that I said to Jason when we found out the news was it is our responsibility now 
to raise our kids up to be little St. John Paul II's and Carlo Acutis's and Joan of Arc's mm-hmm. and Gianna Mola's, you know. St. Catherine of Siena. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or St. Clair. You know, all we, we have to raise our kids now to be little saints mm-hmm. so that they can change this world because um, they were born for such a time as this. And if you look at the major great saints, they were born during times of turmoil. They lived Mm. during times of turmoil. And so they were born for those times. They were born to help the church in these times of crisis. Um, And so... Yeah, that's that's what I said to Jason. Was this, this is our responsibility now? Mm-hmm. They lived in the world as it was meant to be lived in, mm-hmm. right? To to be fully alive, right? And that's what the saints did. Um, and I think that then that's not. I think I know that that's the exact mission that we're called to to be in right now, especially right now, especially in the states of Michigan. And I know that uh, I know California had a similar mm-hmm. law. Um, or a similar amendment, or I don't know exactly what it was titled, but I know it was something very similar. Uh, so it's it's this call, I think, to, to really uh, live as we were created to live, right? Mm-hmm. And I was struck. Um, I was struck. So this comes from um, Friday morning prayer of week one. Uh, so it's the canticle, and it's from Isaiah 45, 15 to 25. I just, I, I like the, the version, and it says, I was praying morning prayer for... It was, it was been a couple weeks ago by the time this comes out. I was struck struck by by this, and I'll read it. It says, uh, so this is from the prophet Isaiah, uh, chapter 45, 15 to 25. For thus says the Lord, the creator of the heavens, who is God, the designer and maker of the earth, who established it, not creating it to be a waste, but designing it to be lived in. My, those last two lines, not creating it to be a waste, but designing it to be lived in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and I don't bring that up because a large part of this is, is an abortion issue, right? Or an abortion topic. But truly, like, I mean, the Lord designs the world to, he designed it to be lived in, to be lived into the fullest. And um, that's not negating that there's going to be evil things that happen. Mm-hmm. But how are we going to take what has happened and bring good about it so that it so the world can be lived in as it's it, as it is created to be lived in. Yeah. Um, so that's just something else that, that just popped into my mind as, as we were talking this, because that, that, that stands are really just kind of stuck out to me. This, this is what we were created. This is what the world was created for. This is what we were created for, for life and for it to be lived in. Well, that, that makes me think about, um, cause I, th- I think my biggest, maybe it's because it's my temptation that that's why it's on my mind. But I, I think it's the temptation perhaps of many Christians and again, I was just mentioning it earlier, but this temptation of like, well, whatever, the world's gone off the rails. I'm going to stick in my little Christian bubble and just kind of like defend myself inside the church and just block myself off from all the craziness. And yeah, there, there does need to be like a certain sense of boundaries and you don't have to watch the news 18 hours a day. Like I was talking to someone who does that. I'm just like, how how can you watch the news for 18 hours a day? But at any rate, um, this, this sense of like pulling away from the world um, that's that's not the Christian perspective on like heaven. And I, I, I read this recently, I think it was N.T. Wright, um, I think his biography on St. Paul. And he was talking about Paul's understanding of heaven. And it's like, I think 
for whatever reason in our culture we have this idea of like heaven is i'm going to finally escape this earth and then i'm going to get into heaven this place that's way over there and i can just like leave this world behind but you look at the writings in scripture and it talks all about like a new heavens and a new earth and jesus even in the lord's prayer is saying thy kingdom come on mm-hmm. earth as it is in heaven and so if that's the view of heaven that it's not just all right, see ya, earth, this was crazy and I'm getting out of here while I still can. Like if that's not what heaven is ultimately about, then that means then even while I'm on earth and these crazy things are going on around me, I can't just sort of silo myself off and just have my own little bubble. But I I have to be able to engage in the world. I have to do the work of evangelization. I have to now double down my efforts on um, doing what I can to care for mothers in crisis pregnancy. So, so it's precisely what you're getting at, that it's, it is saying, yes, Jesus is king, but it's also saying, and I've got work to do. This mm-hmm. means I have a sense of mission, not I'm going to throw in the towel because things aren't perfect. It's like if you're looking for the world around us to look exactly like the church, you should have been around a few centuries ago when that was a little bit more right. of the life. That's, that's not the world that we're in, and it won't be the world that we're in for at least you know several generations. So while we're in this time right here, right now, this is this means that we have work to do. Well, it's just we were just talking in the last episode about this mentorship kind of disciple, right? How mm-hmm. do we how do we actively engage in being missionary disciples, right? And I think uh, what is happening right now is a perfect opportunity for us to be able to start engaging in that kind of uh, relational uh, ministry, right? And mm-hmm. that re- relational discipleship, especially in some of these topics and some of the struggles that are going to arise with the passing of this proposal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, so I think it's a, it's a call. It really is a call, right? It's, um, it's not a, a condemnation, right? Uh, but it's a, it's a call, I think, that the Lord's placing on each of us to rise up to, look, like you've been given new life in baptism, so use the world that I've given you um, and live in it. Mm-hmm. Live in it for my, my glory, right? Um, pointing people to me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't mean that it's easy, right? There are times that I want to give up or throw in the towel or say, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Um, but what are we doing then to, like, how is that advancing the mission, right? How is that advancing the kingdom? Mm-hmm. And am I becoming fully alive in running away? Or am I becoming fully alive by pressing in, um, despite the, the, the hardships, right? Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And it's something that we talked about at our faith formation meeting a couple weekends ago um, is basically like, OK, as you know, we are the faith formation committee. And so what do we have to do now to to, you know, evangelize and make it so that like people realize, no, this isn't OK. Um, and another thing that I think gave me comfort, too, is, yes, we have a lot of work to do. But um, our bishop, Bishop Groose, put out a, a beautifully written uh, letter to the uh, faithful of the diocese where he, he says, um, Today Jesus looks over the state of Michigan and weeps. We weep with him. Enshrining the right to take the life of an unborn child into our state constitution is an abomination to him. With deep sadness in our hearts, we acknowledge, however, the reality that a majority of Michigan voters have embraced as a fundamental right taking the life of an unborn child in the womb through all nine months of pregnancy and taking away parental rights in the process. And then he goes on to say this, which I think was very important because it actually gave me a lot of consolation. We are an Easter people 
it looked like complete defeat on Good Friday, but the reality of Jesus' resurrection teaches us that, in the end, life prevails. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think that was really the Holy Spirit speaking through him, because I, I know a lot of people were very upset by, by uh, Proposal Free Passing. Um, and it's, it's good to acknowledge that, yes, on Good Friday, it looked like everything was over. But three days later, life. Mm-hmm. And that's actually in that paragraph that I mentioned from the catechism, the sentence right before that, it says the church will enter the glory of the kingdom only through the final pa- this final Passover when she will follow her Lord in his death and resurrection. And so if we think about the church as the mystical body of Christ, that means the church is going to go through what it is that Jesus himself went through um, and so this, this could be like a time of, of Good Friday. And, and you even think about the fact that Jesus on earth, like in a certain sense, was kind of a failure with his mission, right? Everybody left him. Uh, followers left him while he was still preaching in his public ministry. His apostles all left him when he went to the cross. I mean, while he was on this earth, he didn't necessarily attract a ton of followers or accomplish a lot of fruit. And yet, look what has happened. And so I think that's an encouraging um, word for us to realize that we may not completely like shift this culture that we're in and make it a Christian culture again and like implement these massive changes. We can we can pray for things, we can try to work for things, but if at the end of the day, like we're able to bring about conversion to one heart at a time, like that's that's better than nothing, right? Mm-hmm. So we don't want to be unrealistic and say, I'm going to completely change the entire culture. But we also don't want to be pessimistic and say, it doesn't matter what I do, nothing's going to change. It's like, nope, I, I think one heart at a time and realizing that overall the results won't seem that glamorous, um, but just trusting that, that the Lord is, is still at work even in those little ways. Well, I mean, you just you look at the results of that proposal and it was less than 10%, right? I mean, and that, that is a fruit of prayer and fasting, mm-hmm. right? Like it passed by, I think it was less than 10%. And you look a few weeks prior to the election and it looked like it was going to pass like 70% or so. So that, I mean, every, every prayer that is prayed, um, every voice that, I mean, just a simple sharing of something, right? It makes a difference, right? Mm-hmm. And you can... I mean, this is just one example of the power of prayer, the power of fasting, right? I mean, the Diocese of Lansing put out a fantastic Fight Like Heaven campaign. There's a 54-day rosary novena. I mean, they they did a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I have no doubt in my mind that it was every prayer, every fast, right, that helped. And uh, we need to lean into that even more going forward. I think this is a good example a good physical example of just what the power of prayer could do, mm-hmm. right? And what the power of fasting can do, mm-hmm. not just in, in this issue, but in anything, in any trial, in any tribulation, because, I mean, we're promised it in scripture, right? Like Jesus tells us, you know, you're going to experience it. We read about it in the catechism, like things aren't going to be spick and spanny and perfect before Jesus comes again. They're going to get ugly. And even Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI had a prophecy about the church, you know, that the church would be attacked, right? So that things would get ugly, but then she would come back stronger, right? It would get smaller, would get but smaller, stronger, yeah. But stronger. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that, you know, that, that this is necessarily it, but 
we are going to raise up as the strong, right? Because, um, yeah, we're in a spiritual battle, but we already know that Jesus wins, right? Like, mm-hmm. we already know that the gates of hell will not prevail, right? So we know this. Um, but that doesn't mean we give up the fight. Right. right? You know? And so it's the simple little things that we can do through our prayers and through our fastings and still through just spreading a message of hope, right? Mm-hmm. And I think if we spread a message of hope, that can go a long ways too. And just mm-hmm. like we were talking about before, um, I think it was last, you know, last episode, sharing how has Jesus impacted us, like personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that can make a huge difference going forward. Right? Mm-hmm. Those, those statements of hope. And hope being, I think we talked about that in our Advent series, even last year, that hope is not merely for things in this world. We use that phrase like, I hope the lions win. I hope that uh, the chicken is on sale at Kroger's today. But when we talk about hope in a Christian perspective, it always has to do with the things eternal. Yeah. And so um, just because we are a people of hope doesn't mean that we, um, that as if we have this confidence that things will get better on earth, that's not necessarily what we're placing our hope in. Our hope is that um, in the end, our Lord, our Lord will triumph, and our, our hope is rooted in the things that are eternal. So we can have, I don't know, some degree of optimism about things in the world, but at the same time, like that's not ultimately where we're looking for the results. Right? The results will ultimately be in eternity. We don't place our salvation in the things of the world. Mm-hmm. We place our salvation um, in, in the hope of salvation in Jesus Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not in the things of this world. Mm-hmm. But that can be hard to remember right? when things seem like they're going completely AWOL around us to, to keep our, our hope in Jesus Christ and the hope in the church. I mean, because even though like in Michigan we are struggling and that we are hurting and we are weeping, and yes, I agree, like Jesus weeps over Michigan, right? I mean, mm-hmm. just he's weeping over California, right? He's weeping over uh, these areas where lives are being lost, uh, but the entire church weeps with us too. Like, we are not just the Church of Michigan, right? But we are part of the entire body of Christ. And when one part of the body is injured or hurting, the entire church hurts with us, and the entire church is with us to support us. And so it's a, I think that's also comforting to me, that it's not just us in Michigan that are fighting, right? But it's the entire church that is fighting with us mm-hmm. um, and for us, too. And so that's the beauty of the, the mystical body of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. It's the beauty of uh, the sacramental grace within the church, too. It, it's not just, oh, you guys are in Michigan and we're in Ohio, we're in Indiana or wherever, right? It's no, we're, we're all together fighting for the same cause, for the same purpose, mm-hmm. um, to glorify Jesus and to, to bring the fullness of life, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe the last thing I would say, too, this is what I mentioned in my homily, but I know you guys are big Lord of the Rings fan and Chronicle of Narnia, Chronicles of Narnia and um, Lion King and Braveheart, like all these movies, things got worse for the good guys before it got better, right? The mm-hmm. happy ending came right after like the biggest and darkest battle, right? And so if we see that in those movies and we're just drawn to those movies, we love those movies and those stories, it's like, I think we're drawn to those things because that's the story that we're a part of. And so in the what seems to be the biggest battles the the darkest times like those are precisely in those films where when they nevertheless stuck with the battle they fought the good fight um that's when the happy ending eventually came so um yeah i don't know that image just came to mind of um the the biggest battles things 
got worse for the good guys before they got better. So we, we got to stick it out even when things around us seem to be getting that way. Mm-hmm. I would argue Star Wars is the same way too. I, mean, I would have used that example if I had seen enough Star Wars to uh, know what I was talking about. But alas, <sighs> I know. Speaking of disappointments. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to engage in that. I'm just going to move on. Fair enough. <laughs> So that was the last thing I had to say. I don't know if you had any closing remarks about uh, about the topic, the optimism and the pessimism, but I, I think this, these are good directives for our listeners to not throw in the towel with despair and say, like, world, you take care of yourself. I'm, I'm out. Um, but at the same time, to not be naive about the fact that things might get worse before they get better, but that doesn't mean that we don't have a mission. So... Right. And I think there are examples in history of the world getting to be pretty ugly. Um, but then it, there's the hope that comes at the end, right? You know, I mean, and St. Paul reminds us that, that the Lord works all things for the good of those who love him, right? And so he will work good out of this. And it may be in a way that we don't expect it. Um, but that's, that comes from the hope of the resurrection, right? So that there's, somehow the Lord is going to work good. Um, in this, in our lives, and in the lives of uh, many thousands and thousands of people, right? So I think that that's also uh, something else I think of, that you know, it's okay to grieve, um, but we can't stay there. We look to the hope of Jesus. Um, we look to Jesus in the Eucharist, right? I mean, that's, that's where the source of all grace comes, and uh, that hope of the resurrection um, is seen in the Eucharist. So uh, something there that you know every time we go to holy sacrifice of the mass and we receive our lord in the eucharist uh, that is the food we need for that Um, optimism right that's strength to go forward and be those warriors those comrades in the battle Mm -hmm. yeah food for the journey Mm -hmm. absolutely good well thanks guys this uh this is helpful um that's the thing about homilies it's kind of a monologue i say things and then i don't necessarily get feedback other than great homily father or spend a little less time next time father but it's good to actually like talk about these concepts with people so um yeah i appreciate it so i think it's good yeah just for our listeners to take some things to think about right and uh, because i know that there are people on both extremes right now um, yep and so it's good to i think be grounded to the truth of jesus christ so yep amen let's do our one choice let's do it I will go first. Um, so when this comes out, basically when we're recording this, last night I had dinner at a parishioner's family's house, and I was talking with the ladies about this before we started recording, but I have, I've coined this phrase called the Zacchaeus principle, where <laughs> in the story of Zacchaeus, right, Jesus tells Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, today I must stay at your house. And that's kind of what I do sometimes as a priest. I don't wait for people to invite me over. I just kind of politely invite myself over and say, hey, I would like to have dinner with you guys. And I think sometimes people are, they, they, they want the house to be just perfect and they want to wait until they can make the perfect meal for father. And it's like, no, I'll, I'll take leftovers and I'll be in your messy home. I'll do the dishes. Like, let's just hang out, you know? So I, I did that with this family after mass um, yesterday. And it was just a fun time. We had a good meal. Um, it was, I think, four boys between the age of like f- uh, kindergarten-ish to eighth grade. Um, so just like a good uh, age spectrum of, of just boys being boys. And um, we watched a movie that was like genuinely hilarious as well. So we just had good 
lighthearted fun, and it was a good way to spend the Sunday evening. So I'm, I'm glad I employed the Zacchaeus principle. Yeah, he's also doing that tonight because right before we started uh, recording, Father basically politely invited himself over to our place because it's pretty much on the way back Mary to Kate and Jason tonight to I must him. stay at your home and yeah. eat your food please thank so, you so after this father's going to be coming in having dinner with our family I will going to work wah, wah. Yeah. I guess I'll go um <laughs> so my one joy is that uh we're coming up on Christmas here um and you know once you start a family it gets a lot busier um because you've got not only your family um like my family but I've also got Jason's family's traditions that we're incorporating into our family and and we've got the little kids now and um as much as it might stress people out to prepare for Christmas because it, it can be very stressful um I take so much joy in it, in the pre- preparations and whatnot because um, it's it's a joyful time. It's meant to be a joyful time. Um, and just seeing my kids, well, mostly Mary Trez because the boys are still a little bit too small to understand. But Mary Trez is getting to that point where it's starting to get really fun, um, where she's starting to kind of get it, you know, with Santa and, and whatnot. And, and so it's really – it's beginning to get really fun and jason and i are excited to to share these traditions with her and uh just experience her joy um because i think as we get older we don't approach christmas and the preparations for christmas like during the advent season and and whatnot um with that same childlike joy and so it's a good reminder to watch her joy as we approach that season um because it's it's kind of a gut check like am i am i living with that joy um and so that's that's my one joy is is getting that gut check for my daughter beautiful that's good uh i did have two but i forget what the second one was so uh i might think of it as i'm talking but uh my one joy is a couple weeks ago i showed up at oh i remember what the second one was okay so a couple weeks ago i showed up at um family's house uh, I'd taken it was a Thursday I'd taken it off and it was snowing and I showed up and I told the mom I said I'm coming over and you better believe I'm going to initiate a snow fight and she said well just be prepared and I said well the ear mercy's over uh, but I show up at Poland driveway and the kids are pelting uh, my car was snowballed yes and I told them I said you have to wait for me to get out of the car and shut the door before you can start throwing snowballs at me and uh so yeah it was fun it was just i mean maybe five minutes worth of throwing snowballs but let me tell you i was winded (laughs) my poor lungs hurt um got you know whacked in the side of the face with a snowball which was fine uh it was just it was great fun it was great fun so my second one joy is i was recently at a conference in detroit in the archdiocese of detroit where bishop andrew cousins I was the keynote speaker who, and he's leading up, heading up the uh, National Eucharistic Revival because he's the chair of the uh, Committee for Evangelization with the USCCB. So uh, he gave some two very just beautiful keynote speeches and it was uh, really edifying and encouraging um, for me uh, working in evangelization and just uh, my love for the Eucharist and my uh, zeal and passion for the Eucharistic Revival and getting some ideas of 
uh, how to implement that more fully at the parishes. So uh, I would say those are my two one choice. Awesome. Cool beans. Cool. Well, thanks, ladies. It's good to be back at it. And I hope listeners, you're enjoying the Advent season, preparing for the Lord's coming and hope that this episode helps to give you some uh, joy and a sense of hope. So until next time, God bless. Oh, can you actually give us your blessing? I sure can. Yeah. <laughs> the Lord be with you. And with your spirit. The Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, until next time. God bless. God bless. Peace.